Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the sixth Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Dr. Ruth Myers as she preaches from the lectionary, which was Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Stretching from our Pentecost celebration of the bestowal of the Holy Spirit with rushing wind and tongues of fire to the first Sunday of Advent when we begin to prepare our hearts for the birth of Jesus. In this green season, Luke invites us to follow Jesus on his journey toward Jerusalem the journey that will lead to the cross. Though he is moving deliberately, intentionally toward his suffering and death, when we meet him in the gospel today, Jesus is taking time for a meal with friends. He's at the home of Martha, who busies herself fixing a meal for her guests. In her context in ancient Palestine, she's fulfilling her responsibility as a woman, preparing food for Jesus and his disciples, offering generous hospitality. Martha's sister Mary, however, ignores those cultural norms. She chooses to sit at Jesus' feet as a disciple listening to her teacher. A remarkable choice for a woman in ancient Palestine. Is it any surprise that Martha was irritated with her sister? They had important guests, Jesus, his disciples, maybe other friends. Martha knew the culturally appropriate way to show hospitality. Serve a lavish meal. Ensure that her guests were well cared for. Certainly, Mary knew this too. Yet she chose to break the cultural norms, to claim a place as a disciple among disciples, soaking up Jesus' wisdom. Martha then acts out. She doesn't pull her sister aside and say, hey, I'm working hard here. Our job is to feed these guests. Then, perhaps, we can listen to Jesus. No, Martha takes her dispute right to Jesus. A classic triangle, hoping that Jesus will take her side and get Mary to join her in the kitchen. So imagine Martha's surprise when Jesus 
confronts her, pointing out that she is worried and distracted. The Greek word translated distracted means that she's pulled or dragged in many directions. So much to do to properly attend to our guests. Though generous hospitality is an important social custom valued in the ancient Palestinian context, observed by Jews and early Christian communities, practice we can understand even in our very different context today. Despite the importance of hospitality, Martha's busyness, her anxiety and distraction is the problem. Jesus tells her only one thing is necessary, to sit at Jesus' feet, following Mary's example. For the Marthas of this world, those who labor often behind the scenes in ministries of hospitality and service, Jesus' rebuke of Martha is, disturbing. We know in any well-functioning household or well-organized community, someone has to do the work to create a welcoming space, to prepare meals, to serve guests, to clean up. Does Jesus really mean that such tasks are not necessary? I sure hope not. Not just because I identify a lot with Martha, jumping in to do whatever needs to be done, but also because I have been the beneficiary of gracious and generous hospitality. I think, for example, of our recent gathering to celebrate the conclusion of the Living Waters Capital Campaign. And I am very grateful for the willing hands who organized the celebration, created a gracious, hospitable space in the parish hall and the courtyard, and arranged a festive meal. Is Jesus telling us that such service is not valued? Listen carefully to his rebuke of Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. Jesus is not criticizing her hospitality. Her choice to follow the cultural norms and prepare a meal for her guests. He is criticizing her distraction. She's allowing her responsibilities to pull her in many directions. And so she has lost her focus. One thing is necessary, says Jesus, to sit at his feet and listen, to receive the gifts that he offers. So we wrestle with Jesus' reproach of Martha. 
it's helpful to consider it alongside the story that comes just before it, the parable known as the Good Samaritan. As we heard in the gospel last week, Jesus told that story in response to the question, who is my neighbor? Or more fully, who is the neighbor that I am to love? It turns out in caring for the victim of a robbery and beating that the neighbor was not the priest or the Levite, the religious leaders of the community who each crossed the street to avoid the injured man, but the Samaritan, the outsider who treated the wounds and cared for the one in need. In this story, Jesus commends the one who served. Go and do likewise, Jesus says to the lawyer who asks, who is my neighbor? Taken together, these stories commend both service and faithful listening. In the introduction to the story of the Good Samaritan, the lawyer asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? At Jesus' prompting, the lawyer answers his own question, bringing together two commandments of the Jewish law. Love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Both are essential. For the lawyer, love of neighbor was the challenge. And Jesus exhorts him to show compassion as the Samaritan did. For Martha, love of neighbor was evident in her zeal to show hospitality. And Jesus criticizes her distraction, reminding her of the one thing necessary to receive what Jesus has to offer. How might we open our hearts to receive the gifts of Jesus and offer ourselves in service and hospitality to others? How do we love God and love our neighbor? As some of you know, I've just returned from the General Convention, the legislative assembly that governs the Episcopal Church. The convention makes decisions about our common life and ministry, things like worship, programs and policies in areas such as racial justice and congregational vitality and Christian formation. The church's stance on social issues such as climate change, health care, and human rights. It was very easy to be distracted and pulled in many directions by such a hefty agenda. And because of COVID, this was a very unusual convention. 
The meeting was postponed for a year in hopes that we could meet safely without becoming a super spreader event. Then, when cases began to surge again this spring, the meeting was scaled back from 10 days to four. The exhibit hall was closed and all non-essential events were canceled. We were forced to ask what is absolutely necessary for the work of the church to continue. Meetings of the General Convention are governed by rules of order, providing lots of detail about the legislative process. The first rule is that a Bible is to be reverently displayed at all meetings, reminding us that our work is grounded in the word of God. In the House of Deputies this year, President Gay Clark Jennings asked that the Bible be opened to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17, a couple of chapters on from the section we heard this morning. Colossians 3 reminds us that as God's chosen ones, we are to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience. The passage urges us to bear with one another, to forgive each other, to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a tall order on any day, much less in a convention where we squeeze 10 days of work into four, concentrating our attention on legislative business. In the intensity of convention, the scriptures were there to remind us that one thing is necessary. The second rule for the House of Deputies is that the daily session is to begin with prayer. We began each day with worship, alternating Eucharist and morning prayer. And still, when the legislative session began just a few minutes later, we opened with prayer, turning our hearts and minds to Christ, the foundation for our work. We did our work efficiently, limiting debate as much as possible. We managed to finish early. And at some key moments, we paused to listen, to make room to hear stories. On the first morning, we were beset by Wi-Fi problems and unable to conduct the business that had been planned. But there was a resolution we could take up, a resolution honoring Walter Bart Rainey, Sarah Sharon Yeager, and Jane Pounce, along with 18 others 
who had welcomed a stranger to their church potluck at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Vestavia Hills, Alabama, just a month ago. You may remember, I see heads nodding, that Bart Rainey, Sharon Yeager, and Jane Pounds were shot to death by that stranger. Rather than the usual legislative debate, the president of the House of Deputies invited the entire eight-member deputation from Alabama to come forward and stand together to bear witness before the 800 members of the House. We listened as the chair of the deputation spoke words of hope telling us that the victims had acted out of love, following the example of Jesus. She reminded us that the light shines in the darkness, and that darkness will not overcome it. Then we stood for prayer, focusing on the one thing necessary. Later that day, we turned our attention to a resolution for telling the truth about the Episcopal Church's history with indigenous boarding schools. It calls for a fact-finding commission to research the role of the Episcopal Church in indigenous residential boarding schools in the United States, and for the church to address the intergenerational trauma rooted in the church's work in those schools. As the debate proceeded, the president of the House of Deputies ignored Rule 12D53B, a rule that she invoked regularly throughout the convention that provides that debate may end when at least three deputies have spoken in favor of a matter and no one rises to speak against it. Speaking in favor of the resolution, no one spoke against. One deputy after another witnessed to the trauma they and their family members and loved ones have experienced. Deputy Paul Williams from Alaska. My dad was a victim at a boarding school. He knew his name only as number 89. Many of my relatives were in the same situation. Deputy Ruth Johnson from Navajo land survived two boarding schools. She said, my hell began at a boarding school in New Mexico where I was beaten. I could easily have been one of those who didn't make it home. I still have a hard time talking about it. Deputy Cornelia Eaton from Navajo land. For three decades, I have seen elders talk about the boarding schools and the intergenerational trauma that happened to all indigenous people of this land. I work among the people. I carry so much of my own intergenerational trauma, but I know healing is possible. The testimony continued. We listened, we cried. 
Deputy Rachel Tabor Hamilton, later elected Vice President of the House of Deputies, told us, the Episcopal Church is in a position to say to indigenous people of all our provinces that we have healing work to do. Deputy Paul Williams proclaimed, now is a time of healing healing of our bodies, healing of the land. In that moment of holy listening, I trust that we did the one thing necessary to receive the gift of truth offered by so many witnesses. Perhaps by being rooted in scripture, reminded to clothe ourselves in love, we were able to create space to welcome the sacred stories of our sisters and brothers and siblings in Christ, to recognize Christ in our midst. When Martha is distracted by many things, Jesus reminds her that one thing is necessary. May our lives be rooted in that one thing necessary, the generous, life-giving love of God. And may God's love be evident in the hospitality and service we offer to others.